Kevin. It's been a long time since I've been here. I actually think the last time I stood here, I was watching a beautiful bride come down the aisle, uh, and we were getting married back in 2010. And obviously, I've caught up with some of y'all since then. Um, and we are, we are uh, on our way to Santiago. And this is a place, after we sold our home and moved to July, in July to Knoxville, that I thought I would never be. I'm living with my mother-in-law. <laughs> and I'm going to get hit for saying that later. But if you know Ron and Zane, you know that their strength is a way for us to be able to have endurance and patience and joy during this time. That has completely shaken things up. But it is weird to bring the word to people that you knew in middle school. (laughs) It's weird to uh, preach the word to people that you took uh, midnight Taco Bell runs with. Um, But it is good to be back here with you guys. We're going to be Colossians 1 if you want to turn there with me. Um, But this church means a lot to me. I already told you it's the church I got married in. It's the church that I came to know Jesus in, uh, in seventh grade on a youth group night where people were giving testimony after testimony where they knew of the Lord, but they did not know the Lord. And that night I walked the aisle and Brent Ballou, I don't know if he's here, but he led me through Romans Road and I became a Christian that night. It's the night I got baptized. It's the week. Uh, it's the church that I got baptized in. Uh, my name is somewhere. There used to be a camera stand back there, but when we transitioned to this building, I wrote some verses and a prayer of dedication by, back by what used to be the camera stand. And um, your all's hearts are written on mine forever. It was the church that affirmed my application to Southern Seminary, and for to be invited back on our way to Santiago, it's like. You just can't explain the overwhelming love that comes from that. And so from the bottom of my heart, literally, thank you. It means the world to be here. It means the world. I've, I've, it's funny, I'm seeing different people's faces and I'm like, oh, hey, what's up? <laughs> uh, I did that in a Sunday school class before. Um, and uh, it's a joy to see each and every one of you this morning. Um, let me meet you there in Colossians 1 and quit my babbling there. Um, But as we come to Colossians 1, uh, we're going to pop around some different things because my main task today is I want to give you a picture of the pattern of missions in the New Testament. Because consistently, over and over again in the New Testament, we see that there was a pattern that the way the message of the gospel went to new places and new peoples. And so as we investigate that pattern, I want you to be asking yourself, what is my part to play? What does the Lord whisper into your ear? Because what we're going to see is that it takes each and every one of us. Woohoo, good job, Ward family, you're going to Santiago. That is only a part to play. It is a very small part to play. And if each of one of us don't find a small part to play, the larger picture is lost. And so as we go through Colossians, we're going to look at that pattern. We're going to look at the message of the gospel that that pattern goes and spreads around. We're going to look at the content of that gospel. And then we're going to see and ask ourselves some questions on what are the practical implications based on that. Because what I want you to see is that it's normal, everyday Christianity. It's not special. It may be a special emphasis now and then in order to rile us up and rally us to get on board with God's mission. But it is, make no mistake, everyday Christianity to tell other people about Jesus. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. In the honor of God's word, I would ask you to stand and read with me in Colossians 1, 9 through 14. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, So that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for not leaving us to live this life in darkness alone. But God, you came and gave us a light. You gave us your son and you gave us your word that is a light unto our path. We pray, God, that you would illuminate it today. We pray, Father, that you would help us to have an imagination of what it means for us to respond to your grace in Christ. And we pray, God, that you would work powerfully through the word. God, may we learn more things. And more importantly, God, may we love you more at the end of the service. God, we pray that your spirit would work that in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so as we work our way through this, I want to give you a main summary. Now, every good Baptist preacher has three points, right? Well, I've got two sentences for you. (laughs) We're going to break it up to three points. Don't worry, I'm not getting crazy up here. The main summary is Paul's missionary team planted the Colossian church by preaching Christ who fulfills every promise of God. And then Paul personally prays that every person and every member is involved in the Son's universal mission. That's the summary that we're going through. Not that difficult. That's where we're going. And we want to start there in verse 9. And it says, for this reason, Paul prays. Since the day we heard it, we haven't stopped praying for you. Well, for this reason is a very specific reason. We see that context in verses 4 through 8. So I want to jump back there for a minute to see, to discuss to describe what this compelling reason that Paul gives that he prays for the church every day. He's compelled to pray because of their positive response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In verse six there, he says, you have heard the gospel and came to truly appreciate it. And I wonder just as an aside of how many of us have heard the gospel over and over and over, but have we gotten to the point in our heart where we've come to truly appreciate appreciate it. We'll talk more about that later. The start of the Colossians church is nothing spectacular. This is something that Paul, it is a miracle because of the power of God that comes to them, but it's not something that Paul wasn't expecting because he knows that where the gospel goes, God's power goes and it bears fruit and it multiplies. It's the pattern that happens when the gospels proclaim. So when we go down to Santiago, we are expecting God to save people from darkness and put them into light. It's what our God does. When we go on mission trips to Salt Lake City and work with Derek and Kristen, it is what the gospel does to see people year after year after year expand their impact at VBS because where the gospel goes, it spreads and it multiplies. We have confidence in the pattern because God's a good God. He's a gracious God. And when he shares the gospel through his people, people are saved. The message that they proclaim, I want to dive into this a little bit. There's two ways that we're going to dive into it. The first one I want to see is its effectiveness. Because the beautiful, promise-fulfilling proclamation of God's word of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension, when that's proclaimed, it gives people a hope reserved in heaven. And that changes the way people live in love. In verse 8, it says, they're now in love by the Spirit. We're going to see a little more of that content, but look at the effectiveness in verse 6. The effectiveness of the gospel, it is blessed to bear fruit and increase all over the world. That includes POW and that includes unreached places still yet to be. God's plan from the very beginning was to bear fruit and multiply. See, Paul here is not using an agricultural illustration. He's not thinking, hey, I'm in a rural part. These people like to farm. Oh, I like seeds. They grow. This is cool. I'm going to put this in my letter to Colossians. That's not what he was doing. He's actually picking up the Bible story. He's saying exactly what God has been about from day one. In Genesis 1:28, what did God do? God blessed them and he said, be fruitful and multiply. And so when the gospel of Jesus is multiplying and spreading the gospel, it is picking up the very purpose of God in creation. It is picking up the very purpose for our lives. So often we tack Jesus on like a trailer hitch when he commands to be the engine of the truck. And often 
we get sidelined by distractions when we need to realize that the beautiful, multifaceted, promise-fulfilling gospel of Jesus is worthy of every inch and every thought of our mind. Now, that can be tough, and God gives our vocations for a reason. And so not everything in this life is spiritual, but everything can be done in a spiritual way to give glory to the Lord. And so when this comes and it bears fruit, it takes root. Here in, here in the first verses, I want you to see three people that we're going to come back to later. In verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother. And then later in verse 7, it says, you learn this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. See, the gospel goes from faith to faith. The gospel comes through and takes roots at First Baptist and it changed life like mine. And then it sends me out in order to see someone else changed. And the question is, is the gospel going through you? See, the Lord didn't save you to have it stop there. The Lord saved you to send you. It's from the very beginning to bear fruit and multiply. When they messed it up and Abraham came back, it was to be a blessing. A bl- you are blessed to be a blessing. And in every covenant, there is this drawing near in order to be sent out. We have to balance worship and witness or we get it out of whack. If you're all about worship, you get stale. Because as one former pastor I knew, you, you sit, you soak, and you sour. But if you're all about witness, you're going to burn out. You've got to have the balance of worship and witness to live a life of godliness. So that's the message. Let's look at the pattern a little bit more closely here. Here's the pattern. A missionary team, they would go into a city, proclaim the gospel, plant a church, equip that church through establishing leaders and itinerant visits. I just described to you the missionary task of the International Mission Board and, the inter- and, the, and that they get from the pattern of the New Testament. A missionary team goes in, proclaims the gospel, plants a church, equips leaders to where they go in and mine the depths of the, of the location there for the glory of God. So here in Colossians 1, we saw it. We see Paul, Timothy, and Epaphras in the first seven verses. They're in partnership together in ministry for the Colossian church. And from other places, we see this isn't a rare case. This isn't some special occasion in Colossae. This was something that God did over and over and over again in the pattern of the New Testament. Let's look at a few of them. 1 Corinthians 3, 6 and 7. It says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each a role. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. You see that Paul and Apollos worked together. One had a role, one started, another matured. Acts 14, 21 through 23 says, When they had preached the gospel to that city, the they is Paul and Barnabas, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, previous churches strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when, you had, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord and moved on. Paul and Barnabas won people to the Lord, planted the church, established leaders, and went and did it somewhere else. It took a team to do it. It takes the team to plant, but then As a missionary, we've got to have people that are going to mind the debts. We've got to leave it with somebody. People have got to go deep with local places. And so sometimes, you know, a missionary will come and they'll be like, well, what aren't you doing? We're going to this place. Where are you going? But the reality is, is where has God called you? Has he called you to remain faithful here or has he called you to be a starter somewhere else? And I tell you, somebody was telling me the other day, I can't even remember who it was, but somebody was telling me, they said, Ben, it's so encouraging to hear how you are leaving your life in Louisville and how you are going to Santiago and you're going to proclaim the gospel. And it sparked in my mind that day that I realized that because this person, man, they shared the gospel in Louisville and they had a ministry that they are going in and out and making disciples in the city of Louisville. And it made me realize that I was thankful and encouraged as a missionary that somebody was going deep in the city that God had called them to. 
And there is this give and take, this role that we each have. And so it's not what's cool, it's where's your teammates and what role do you have to play them. We all can't be point guards. We all can't be centers. We all have a team to play. Titus 1.5 also says, this is why I left you in Crete, Paul talking to Titus. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you may put together what remained and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Paul leaves him to form the church more deeply so that he could go start churches somewhere else. And then finally, in 2 Timothy 2.2, he tells Timothy, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will then also commit to others also. And so you see this multiplying of missions. You see this multiplying effort of the gospel. And right back in our text in Colossians 4, at the very in Colossians chapter 4, you see Paul name all his co-workers. And I'm telling you, these are like the top 100 baby names of 2022. You've got Tychicus, Onesimus, Aristarchus, Mark, Justice, Epaphras, Luke, Demas, Nympha, and Archippus. And in those names, you see that it takes a team and it takes a lot of this. This is not Pastor Perry. This is not Pastor Tim. This is not Missionary Ben. This is First Baptist Church of Powell on mission with Jesus Christ to make him known across the world and in Powell. A few things to note about missionary teams. The first is that there are no superheroes in New Testament missions. There are roles to play and partners to develop. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 talks about some of these roles. Paul says in the first century there were apostles and there were uh, prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And we often forget about that sixth role that he said because these leaders were to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And you should see yourself in that Ephesians 4 chapter somewhere. You're either a leader that God has called to equip or you're a saint that God God has called to work. And we are all about the task. My favorite missionary is a lady in her young 80s. I think they call that an octogenarian these days. She's in Louisville. She's a retired missionary. Her name's Gail. She's been our adopted grandma for the last 11 years. And she may be retired from her position, but she cannot keep from telling people about Jesus. A few years ago, um, a college ministry came up to Gail and they said, hey, we've been referred to you. We need someone to take in this lady from India. Now she's a Hindu, but we think it may be like a, I don't know, like a ministry opportunity. And she said, oh yeah, let me pray for that. Oh, I don't need to pray for that. Yeah, you tell her to come on. And Gail took her into her house for a few years. And not just recently, about five months ago, she had this thought from the spirit of, I've never gone through the Bible with this lady. So she comes up to her and she says, you know, we've been living together for a few years now, and this is my house. So I'd like to do a Bible study. Would you like to do it with me? We're going to meet tomorrow night at eight. And so verse by verse, they walk through the book of John and then the book of Romans. And this lady from a Hindu background that was lost until she met Gail, the gospel went through Gail and she was baptized a month ago into the family of God. That is how the gospel spreads. Gail didn't wait on a position. She waited on the Lord and she proclaimed the gospel. We all do it together. The second thing I want us to see and note about missionary teams is that already in the infancy of the Colossians church, they sent two people on Paul's missionary team. They were a brand new church. I don't don't know how long, I don't know how old First Baptist is, but I know it's not brand new. (laughs) They were a brand new church. And from their church, they sent at least two and called one pastor. I see this in chapter four and verse nine. Uh, He says, he is coming with Onesimus, a faithful and dearly loved brother who is one of you. The later in uh, verse 12 He calls Epaphras, the one we met earlier in chapter one. He said, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. From the very beginning of the Colossians church, they were a part of the mission of God and the missionary team. They knew people, they were going, they were making it real in their church. And so from that, 
I know that there is no excuse for me or no excuse for us to not send more missionaries. Mature churches multiply the gospel through every member. What's our part? The third thing I want us to notice is that there are various roles. So not only are there various people, but there are also various roles. Local churches cooperating together are like mine shafts in a mining company, right? There's work to start the shaft, but then there's also work to mine the depths and the riches of that shaft. And so as we go, we see here Paul and Timothy and Epaphras, they set up the mine shaft. But then we see Archippus and we see others like the congregation told to mine the depths of that shaft. Verse, chapter 4 verse 2 says, devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us to speak the mystery of Christ. It is standard Christianity to spread the message. In verse 5 of chapter 4, it says, act, act wisely towards outsiders, redeeming the time. Paul anticipated and expected for them to be on mission where they were at. And in verse 4, uh, sorry, verse 17 of chapter 4, he says, and tell Archippus, pay attention to the ministry of you received in the Lord so that you can accomplish it. He was one of those leaders they raised up. He was one of those elders that they instituted. As we hear the stories of teamwork for the spread of the gospel in Colossae and the ancient Rome, I wonder what God is whispering into your ear for the sake of Pal and the unreached places of our world. What's he asking you to do? Who's he putting on your mind? What team are you supposed to be a part of in prayer, in giving, and in going? You know, history tends to forget teams. Paul is typically the church planter of the New Testament we think about. We don't typically think about Tychicus, although Tiki, I mean, come on. We also tend to do that in history as well. William Carey, the father of modern missions, set sail for India in 1792, but we don't remember the people that he went with. But it took a team to impact India, and they often call him the Serenpore Trio. But it took more than just the trio as well. We had William Ward, obviously my favorite, good last name. He ran the print shop that printed the written proclamation of the Serenpore mission. Every time they wrote a sermon, they would distribute it. Every time they translated a book, they would distribute it through his work as a printer. Joshua Marshman ran the administration of their Christian education arm. Hannah Marshman, probably the most competent leader of the bunch, she assisted her husband in leading the Christian schools. Indigenous evangelists like Krishna Paul, who traveled in these evangelism circuits, spreading the gospel to their people. And then the sending pastors back in England, like Samuel Pierce and Andrew Fuller, raised awareness, preached Christ-exalting servants, and raised funds to send more missionaries and to find God's people in their place. It takes a team. As the old adage says, you may be able to go fast alone, but we'll go far together. In church missions, we make disciples together. All right. There's number one. Missionary teams plant churches. And by preaching Christ who fulfills every promise of God. Oh, this gets good. Lord, I hope it comes out the way it came in. In this text, we see that the content of the message, the content of teaching the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus... It fulfills every Old Testament yearning. It fulfills every Old Testament promise. Paul said it one way in 1 Corinthians that every promise finds their yes and amen in Christ. Here in Colossians 3, he says that all the treasures are hidden in Christ. And all the longing of our hearts are found in him. There are four ways specifically I want to see in 9 through 14 that he does this. Am I, and I put this together and I realized, oh, I'm going in opposite order. So we're actually starting in verse 14. But it's in historical order of the Old Testament. So that's the logic behind the madness here. All right. So in verse, um, in verse 6 and 10, Jesus 
is said to fulfill creation's purpose. Now, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but let's read it. The gospel, verse 6, the gospel that has come to you, it is bearing fruit and growing all over the world so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. Like I said, Paul isn't just using a metaphor. He's teaching the Bible. In Genesis 1:28, God blessed Adam and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. See, back when Moses wrote Genesis and God revealed that to him, there was this other kingdom called Egypt that the Pharaoh was thought to be the image of their God. And so Pharaoh would take all of these statutes and he would put them around wherever his kingdom was represented and the law of his rule reigned. And Moses took that word and God revealed to him and said, that's a, that's a shadow of what I'm doing in each and every person. God made you in his image. He made Adam in his image to fill the earth as a representative to said, this is my rule. I'm going to reign through them. But they failed. Genesis 3 happened. They disobeyed. And so we are born in original sin. We were born a sinner. My three-year-old is cute as can be, but she also is a sinner. And in that original sin, you and I became very good at particularly sinning. And so we have a history of sin that we have messed up. And so our purpose and our longing in creation as the image of God has been destroyed. But Jesus, look at verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. This is God's image. This is not just where, G, where, where Paul was, you know, platonically thinking, well, God is spirit. Therefore, we need a representative. No, this is him again teaching the Bible. Jesus is the image of God. It's not a thread. It's the story. The pattern of going and making disciples after the likeness of Christ is doing what God purposed at the very beginning, that he will bear fruit and multiply and his representatives will be all over the world. The second thing that Jesus fulfills is that he fulfills his exodus. He fulfills our deliverance of our personal sin. In verse 14, he says, in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul uses this word redemption. It's a very specific foundation found in the Old Testament picture of the Passover and the exodus. Exodus 6, 6 says, they say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from the slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. The Passover is when God showed his mighty acts for the judgment of Israel, I'm sorry, for the judgment of Egypt and the salvation of Israel. And when he brought them out, he forgave them. He brought them back. It was for relationship. It wasn't just this political thing to save a people. It was a spiritual thing to bring them to their God. And so he was making them a kingdom of priests. And in Christ's cross, he has shed the blood for us to be, the, to be passed over in God's judgment. Now, I know that that's pretty cool, literarily, but that's not why Paul wrote that. And that's not why I'm preaching it this morning. Because I don't know if you have ever felt your back against the wall of the Red Sea, like Moses found himself. Or I don't know if you ever felt the judgment of the sin in your heart, like the angel of death walking through the streets of Cairo. I have felt that. But praise be to God that we have redemption in his son, the forgiveness of sins, that we can stand to the very people that saw me sin early in my life, to the very people I know the best and the dearest. I can stand here today and say, on Christ, the solid rock, I stand. No other ground is sinking sand. He is my hope and stay. People. It's not just cool. 
It is life-giving. It is something that will change your world. And it'll take going through you like to Epaphras. And it'll cause you to do crazy things like move to another country. Like people that you know very, very well. It'll cause you to do crazy things like William Carey, who couldn't get on an eight-hour flight from Atlanta to San Diego. So he said, I'm going to give everything. I'm going to pack my bags in a coffin, and I'm going to go tell other people about Jesus. It'll cause you to do the most wonderful things and worship to the one who is worthy because he gave it all for you. Man, he is good. And it's not just cool. It is life-giving. And I ain't even done yet. (laughs) Jesus also fulfills David's covenant. In verse 13, Paul says, God rescues us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Some of these things have been direct quotes, but this one is a picture from 2 Samuel 7 that Paul picks up because there was a hope in Israel of the son of David. God's very specific promise in saving his people came down and narrowed down to a very specific man in the son of David. 2 Samuel 7, 16 says, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And in Christ, the kingdom still stands because Jesus sits on his throne after making payment for your sin. We are positionally changed from darkness to light. We are citizen, citizenship changed. Our passports have changed from darkness to light. Do we live in it? The fourth way that Jesus fulfills every promise of the Old Testament is through the inheritance. Verse 12 says, he has enabled us to share in the saints inheritance. And this inheritance is something very particular in the Old Testament. It was the promised land. Jesus is and prepares the promised land. Deuteronomy 8.1, let me call your attention to that. He says, carefully follow every command so that you may live and increase and may enter and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers. On the condition of Israel's obedience, they were able to share in the inheritance of God. Every tribe received a portion. Big tribe, big land. Small tribe, small land. But everybody received a portion, except for the tribe of Levi, the priestly tribe, whose inheritance was the Lord himself. And in Christ, we both have the inheritance of the Lord's presence and the promised land that he has promised to prepare before us on our journey to heaven. But did you hear the condition of Deuteronomy 8? Let me read it again. Carefully follow every command. If you keep the law, if you keep the law, you will be established in the land. It came with a condition. But we are unable to keep the law. We are unable to keep God's law. We break it. We are unable to keep God's law. But verse 12 starts in a very specific way. He has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance. Christ has kept the law for you so that you can be the righteousness of God in him. It's like one of our favorite songs from the Gettys. It says, what shall I gain from his reward? Why shall I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom. He has given us a future and a home in him. We were unable and he enabled us. We were enslaved and he gave us an exodus. We were prisoners of war and he put us into his kingdom. And then when we were lost, he gave us a forever home. When we see all these things from creation all the way up to cross, we see the power of God display narrowing in on a very specific person and the son of God, Jesus Christ. We see the power that unites history. We see the power that fulfills the promise of conditional promises, even though he didn't have to. We see the power of God 
in the Son, Jesus Christ. But I don't want you to just get the power. I don't want you to just see like, wow, God is amazing and he's large and he's big. I want you to feel that that power comes into your heart. Because the doctrine of regeneration talks about that power coming into your life. And it wakes you up from the inside out like Jesus looked onto Lazarus' grave and said, Lazarus, come forth. He does that each and every time a new believer is sprung into his family. And he calls you by name. The power of God that makes us cause and say, whoa, like the Grand Canyon or the Mariana Trench or the expanse of the universe. That power visits you personally. And this is where I want to ask the question of verse 6. Since it came to you and you heard it and came to truly appreciate it. Do you truly appreciate the grace of God in Jesus Christ and his message? In a room this big, in a city like Knoxville where you go to church whether you believe or not, do you appreciate the gospel that we just talked about? Have you been transferred from darkness to light? Do you love the Son of God? Have you been cleansed from your sin? Do you know him personally in that way? Have you come to truly appreciate the gospel. That is the vision that fuels mission. It's Jesus Christ that fuels it. It's not the need, although the need is great. Where we're going in Santiago, there's 8 million people in 100 evangelical churches. We've got to plant more. The need is great. Every year, 157,000 people, I'm sorry, every day, 157,000 people are lost and they die and they meet their eternity in hell. The need is great, but what fuels mission is the overarching love of Jesus Christ. It's so good and the weight is so heavy that it brings Paul to a hymn of praise. This Christological hymn of verses 15 through 20 where it says, He is the image of God. He is the firstborn over all creation. He is before all things. He is the head, the body of the church. He is the beginning. Through him are being reconciled all things. He is bringing everything to himself. It is about him, him, Jesus. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive all glory and honor and praise. And so you ask me why we're going to Santiago, it's because of him. And if you are here and you feel that call of God, it is not because of the need, it is because of the greatness of him. And if you are here and pow, we work differently. We prioritize this space differently. We prioritize the relationships differently because he is worthy. He is worthy. And that's where I want to get this morning in our third and final point is that we see Paul pray that every member, every saint is empowered to personally play a part in their Savior's universal mission. In verse 9 he says, For this reason, since the day we heard it, this we haven't stopped praying for you, We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. See, I love that prayer of thanksgiving Aaron gave earlier when he he read scripture back to God. See, that's what Paul's doing right here. He's praying the Bible back to God that when he says that they may be filled with all wisdom and spiritual understanding. He's going back to Exodus 31.3 when the very first picture of the spirit of God coming onto a person. And it's Bezalel and Ohalib. Again, another 2022 baby name. Anybody pregnant in here? Feel free to go with Bezalel. But he's praying the Bible back to them. And in this, these guys had a very specific purpose. The Spirit filled them for a very specific purpose. It was to build the tabernacle of God so that people can meet God's presence. 
And oftentimes we think of all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We think of all spiritual wisdom and we think, oh, maybe that's like Brett playing the guitar and filling the worship center with beautiful music to the praise and glory of Jesus. Or maybe that's like the word of God being preached. And yes, those are spiritual and they all do require wisdom. But that's not how Betsy and O, as I like to call them, were equipped by the spirit of God. These men were craftsmen. They worked with their hands to build the tabernacle of God. And that was the very first time that the spirit filled someone in the Old Testament. God skills us exactly how he wants you to be skilled for his purpose. If you think that your skill, that your gift cannot be used in the kingdom of God, you just haven't asked, the, you just haven't asked yet. But you can, and you need to be, because it takes us all. The other day, Ron and I were talking, and he shared with me a hymn, and the history of that hymn, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. Edward Motes wrote that in the 1860s. Edward Motes died a pastor, but for 37 years before that, he was a carpenter. And it was while he was a carpenter that Edward Motes wrote, on Christ the solid rock I stand. He was walking to work one day and the refrain came on him. And by the end of the day, he had written the four choruses and put a tune to it. Later that week, a lady from his church that he was not the pastor of, but a member of, was on her deathbed and he visited her and sang this new song that God had given him. And he helped her and encouraged her as Christian did Pilgrim on the way through John Bunyan's river to the celestial city. He guided her into heaven through the song that he wrote as a carpenter. All spiritual wisdom and understanding. Do you go to work that way? Man, that challenged me this week. Do you do you skip along to the beat of grace so quickly that you could, as a carpenter, walk through God's presence so much to beautifully write words that are in inspiring Christians 200 years later? And is my son Judah's favorite Christian hymn? It's amazing what God will do when we give our lives to him. And that's a challenging word to treat every day in the presence of God, not just Sunday. Our worth and effectiveness don't come from the position we hold, but the person we accompany. Verse 10 says, we can walk worthy of the Lord, bearing fruit in every good work. Have you ever thought that you've messed up life too much to really be used by God? Or forget about being used by God. Have you ever thought that you've messed up life too much that you can't even walk into God's presence? Well, first I want to tell you that we serve a prodigal father, God. That when you step one direction in repentance, he is looking a long way off and he wraps you in his arms in a hug and he says, I love you. But look at this text real quick. To walk worthy of the Lord. Now remember, we already established that Paul's thinking about the garden when he says to bear fruit and increase. To bear fruit and grow in the knowledge of God. Did you know God walked in the garden? But it was after Adam's sin. He walked in the garden in the cool of the day and Adam hid. He couldn't face the holiness and the presence of God. He had messed it up too much. But in Jesus Christ, you can come back and you can be restored to the original purpose, to the original plan, to the love of the Father, and you can walk worthy of the Lord. I don't stand here perfect. Lindsay said amen in the second road. <laughs> but I stand forgiven. And I can walk with the Lord in the cool of the day. Because I know his 
redemption. He has bought me back. It's that kind of love that will prepare you to witness. It's that kind of worship that will tell you anything, Jesus. I don't have to, I don't have to do anything except to do whatever you ask. That's where you need to get. And that comes through some good discipleship. You know where that came from me? Community. That's not even in the notes. Pastor Perry didn't even pay me to tell you that. But get in a community group. You know, because there's a forgiveness and there's a healing. First John 1 John 1.9 says that when we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us. You have it immediately. James 5.16 says that when you confess to one another, you will be healed. It takes that community to be restored, to walk to worthy of the Lord. Get into other people's lives. Prioritize those relationships. We all hide because of something that we've done. But when you get close to that kind of love in Jesus Christ, you will be loud for Jesus Christ. In Colossians 1, we've seen his pattern and we've seen his plan. And we've been hopefully impacted by the love of Jesus Christ. Have you been convinced of that worth and that mission of Jesus today? Are you asking yourself, how can I practically respond to Jesus Christ this morning? I'm going to give you three ways, and I'm going to sit down, shut up, and we're going to worship more. The first response is the call of salvation. I kind of did this earlier, but I want to just repeat it. In verse 6, Paul says, have you truly appreciated the gospel? Has your story changed? Are you radically different? Paul uses radically different pictures like new creation, transferred kingdoms and loves, redeemed, forgiven, growing, praying. Does that categorize your life? If not, I would tell you to confess and pray. And ask God to be the Lord of your life. To tell him that you are sorry, that you would need his forgiveness, and that you want to walk worthy of the Lord. The second response is the call to the general plan of church planting that we have established in Colossians 1. Now, I'm not telling you that you have to do that across the world. You can do that right here at First Baptist Powell. Paul invites all of the saints to bear fruit. The way you bear fruit is by loving others. Are you spending your time giving or are you spending your time consuming? If you're a giver, you're investing. Now, there's a very particular place that you need to invest your time. Invest in the maturing of First Baptist Pal. Commit to a specific ministry. Commit to a specific people in a community group, or in a discipleship group. Commit to share with the people that God has placed around you. Be like Edward Moat. Go to work in a certain way to say that good news. Now that takes an investment of time. It takes an investment of talents, and then it takes an investment of treasure. Are you prioritizing the plan that God has, or are we distracted by other things? Some people say, well, I don't have time for that. To which, what, what was my reply? I had a quip on this, but I forgot it. Basically, you don't have time not to. Heaven's coming quick. Death is coming quick. And God has given us a kingdom in the local church to steward. And so we want you to invest in that. And then commit to a specific missionary endeavor. Paul told them very specific people to invest in. Tychicus, Onesimus, Aristarchus, Archippus, Epaphras. He gave them very specific people. Now, at a church like First Baptist, you are blessed with so many partnerships and missions. Pick one. Get their updates. When you get those updates, pray for them. When you pray for them, hit reply. There is not a magical barrier that only goes one way to you. 
<laughs> it goes back to them and they are encouraged by what is happening here. And so reply back, relationally support them. If they're self-funded, then support them with your time and your treasure. If they're not self-funded, then support maybe the work of their ministry by national partners. But, but name one. See, in the world of missions, sometimes we often think of like, well, there's 7,000 people groups and 3,000 of them are unreached, unengaged. Sometimes we think like, oh, we've got to be about X amount of churches planted in this city so that the gospel can take root. Sometimes we think about like, oh, the numbers, the numbers, the numbers. But Paul's concerned about the names, the names, the names. And so do you know the people you're investing in? Do you have a specific obligation? And then finally, are you feeling a call to a specific assignment? You know, Paul came to a church 2,000 years ago, and he met a young man named Epaphras. And Epaphras' world changed, and he joined Paul's missionary team. Are we sitting here in worship today? Because that's where God does it. Acts 13, while they were worshiping and praying, Paul and Barnabas were set aside by the Holy Spirit. Are we worshiping today and God is stirring in your heart? I'm supposed to be doing something somewhere else. If that dud up there can do it, I can do it too. Or is God calling you to a specific assignment? If so, talk to Pastor Tim. Tell him about that. That's a long journey, but it takes one step. So, are you called to salvation? Are you called to the general pattern? Are you called to a specific assignment? Let's pray it into our hearts. Father, thank you so much for this morning. We pray, God, that you would encourage us through your son, Jesus Christ, and how he fulfills everything. God, apply that to us through your spirit. Lord, apply that to our hearts. God, may our stories change because your love for us is so great that we can't help but being changed. God, thank you so much for this church. Lord, we pray that your blessings would be on it as they commit to serve you here in Powell and to the unreached places. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.